<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome back to Hollywood and Levine. Hope you had a great holiday season. Happy New Year to you. Hope you got your booster. And uh, welcome back for another season of uh, the Hollywood and Levine podcast. So here's what I want to talk about this week. You know, there are always those humbling moments in life. You know, those moments when you're kind of, you know, knocked back down to size uh, my partner David Isaacs and I have a uh, an expression, the Prince of the City theory, which is the minute you think you're hot shit, something will come along to bring you back down to size. And I remember the night of the final cheers airing. I was in Boston and there were 20,000 people in the Boston Common watching on a giant diamond vision board. And I was in that cheers building that you see. And I was there with senators and I watched the show with the CEO of General Electric. And, uh, you know, we were all you know, such big stars that night. This is like 84 million people watched that episode. And uh, at about two o'clock in the morning, I am walking back to my hotel along the common and it had rained earlier in the day and I had like a nice trench coat and everything and a truck comes by and there was like a puddle and it just drenches me, just drenches me. And it's like, yep, Prince of the City. So that's what I thought I would talk about uh, this week. Uh, a few uh, rather uh, amusing stories all at my expense. And what could be more fun than that? So I'm going to start with a story that happened when I was 21 years old. I had to get my tonsils out. And uh, back in those days, you would go to the hospital for a day or two. So I would have to check into the hospital I remember like that uh, Monday night and I was supposed to have the tonsil surgery, tonsillectomy, whatever they call it, uh, like at about seven o'clock the next morning. So I'm in a room with two other people and the nurse wakes me up at five o'clock in the morning and looks at me and goes, oh, you must be the nose job. (laughs) It was just so wrong on so many levels. Uh, but that kind of gives you an idea of, of my life. 
sometimes when you're in Hollywood, you get mistaken for actors. And that happened to me once. I was in a Chinese restaurant downtown, and these two people came up to me, and they were like, oh, my God, oh, my God, it's you. I see you on television every week. I can't believe it. It's it's you. And I'm like, well, no, I, who, who do you think I am? You know, thinking, okay, you know, look, good-looking people are on television, okay? So if they think I'm on television, then they have to think I'm handsome enough to be on television. They said, animal. Now, there was a show called Lou Grant, and there was a character there named Animal. This guy was skinny as a rail with hair just sticking out everywhere. And, I mean, he just looked like he was completely drugged out. Yeah, that's who they thought I looked like. Yeah, I signed an autograph for them. Um, in later years, when I trimmed my Jufro and I had a beard, I was mistaken on several occasions for the director, John Landis. And one time, this was shortly after uh, an accident on the set with a movie that John Landis was uh, directing. Remember, there was this big accident and Vic Morrow, the actor, was killed in it. And again, I'm in a restaurant and someone comes up to me and just starts yelling at me, how could you live with yourself? How could you live with yourself? My God, what does it feel like that you've killed a man? You have taken a human life. For what? For your stupid movie? Your movies aren't any good. He's just like yelling at me in a restaurant. Of course, everyone else is looking and it's like, you know, no, no. Uh, please mistake me for Steven Spielberg. So that's what it was like for me, the few occasions where I was actually mistaken for a star. Now, this is one of my favorite stories. This is, uh, oh gosh, I, I would say probably the early 90s. There was a very ambitious play that was... Uh, playing in Los Angeles called Tamara. And it took place in like this big mansion in Hollywood. And the idea was that there were 15, 16 characters in this play and they were all walking through the house going different rooms, having conversations. Uh, it was some kind of thing where there were alliances and planning to kill somebody, that sort of thing. And, uh, and the idea was that the audience would follow whoever you wanted to. And so you would just be walking around the mansion following the actors as the story was unfolding. And then at intermission, they had like a big buffet and they had uh, a big Viennese dessert bar and everything. And you were supposed to like come with a group. So if you came with like six or seven people, uh, 
and everybody fanned out and followed different characters, then you would come back at intermission and you would, you know, sort of piece together the story of what was going on. You know, you were saying, uh, yeah, I, I was following the uh, the son, and he went out to the stable, and I think uh, he's in love with uh, the the Duchess or whatever. And someone else would say, oh, yeah, I was with the patriarch, and he has a drinking problem, and he has a thing with the chambermaid. And, you know, and you would kind of piece together what this was, and then you would go off and finish the play and again everyone would get in the car and figure out exactly what was happening. It was very fun. It was a very different kind of experience. So I was with a group of people in Raw following different characters and I chose the uh, little French maid. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay, I know. Uh, So there's like one scene where she's going to go out on a date with somebody so she goes up to her bedroom her chambers and there was like 15 of us I think of the 15 probably 14 guys and so we're standing around the perimeter of the room and she's getting ready and she's talking about how excited she is going on this date and and she comes right up to me and she's looking me like right in the eye and she's going on about how sexy she thinks this guy is and how you know tonight's the night and and she's like looking right into my eyes so I'm thinking okay there's there's a vibe here I I can tell there's there's something a little bit more than just reading dialogue here, you know the way she's looking at me like right eye to eye contact and the things she's saying and you know body language you know a guy can tell these sort of things right so I'm thinking um, oh you know I think she likes me uh, I. I really do. I, I'm I'm sensing uh, a chemistry here. And then I realize where I was standing in the room that I was blocking the mirror, that I was standing in front of the mirror. So when she was saying all of this stuff, she was literally looking through me. Yeah, I, I didn't enjoy the play as much, uh, after that. Okay, back to me in a moment, but first I'd like to segue to, well, me and a word from today's sponsor, Honey. What is Honey? Well, stay tuned. Look, we all like to shop online, right? And we're all looking for promo codes, which is kind of a hassle. And that's where Honey comes in because your days of manually searching for promo codes is a thing of the past. Honey is a free browser extension that scours the internet for you for promo codes, and it applies the best ones it finds to your cart. How does it work? Very simple. You're shopping online, one of your favorite sites, and when you check out, the Honey button drops down, and all you have to do is click 
apply coupons. Wait a couple of seconds, it does its thing, and then miraculously, you see your total price goes down and down and down. Now, I've used this myself. In fact, recently I saved $18 buying art supplies. You may be saying, why'd you buy art supplies? Well, tune into next week's podcast and I will tell you. But the point is, I saved $18. So if you don't already have honey, you could be straight up missing out on free savings. Like I said, it's literally free. It installs in just a few seconds. And by getting it, you'll be doing yourself a solid and supporting this humble podcast. So get honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Levine. That's joinhoney.com slash Levine. You will be saving money. Okay, enough about me. Let's get back to me. When I was in baseball, this happened several times, both in the minors and the major leagues, where it would be fan photo day. For the game, the players were all down on the field and the announcers were down on the field as well and people would come up and take their pictures with the ball players, and, you know, uh, in theory with us. And this happened like every single time where someone would come up to me, usually an attractive girl, and they would go, oh, my God, you're the announcer, right? You're the announcer. And you go, yes, yes, I'm the announcer. You know, can, can you introduce me to some ballplayers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The announcers don't really fare that well. But you would think once I became a writer that perhaps I might be a little more desirable to the opposite sex. There was a time I was speaking at UCLA for some class and a friend of mine was in attendance. And at the time I was on MASH and one of the other writers who was on the panel, Larry, I think his name was, was on Rhoda. And as we're talking, you know, warning, some bad language here. As we're, we're talking and doing our spiel, my friend was sitting next to these two young women. And, and one says, um, so what do you think? Ken or Larry? And the other said, nah, I think I'll fuck Larry. I'd rather get a Rota assignment. So... That was, that was it. Larry had a much better time that night uh, than I did. Oh, uh, as an announcer, I was also, this was when I was with Baltimore. I was mistaken on a couple of occasions for our third baseman, Leo Gomez. Now, Leo Gomez, this big, hulking guy. He's an athlete. At the time, you know, he's 24 years old, and I'm 42 and I'm skinny and have that same big nose that I had when I had my tonsillectomy. And uh, so kids would come up to me, oh, my God, oh, can I have your autograph? Can I have your autograph? I said, who, who do you think I am? 
And they go, Leo Gomez. I go, okay, great. So I would sign Ola, Leo Gomez, for them. For a number of years, I was doing Dodger Talk on the radio on KABC in Los Angeles. And one day, the Dodger PR director came up to me and said, uh, I, I just got a, a, a complaint. Um, did you go on for about five minutes last night talking about uh, Obama being uh, a real tool and um, destroying the country and this is what you get when you elect someone like this president? And I said, no. How could you even ask me that question? I wanted to know. (laughs) Would you think that I would veer off on Dodger talk and do all kinds of racial slurs against the president of the United States and our policy. No, I'm talking about how bad the bullpen was. So the next day he comes up to me and he goes, uh, Oh, listen, I, um, I kind of owe you an apology. Um, it turns out it wasn't you that said that. It was Ira Levin, who was on the station as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> why don't you investigate that first? It was just so bizarre. I mean, he came up to me in the press box and, and asked me this question. And all these other reporters were looking at me like, Really? You did that? Why? No, of course not. Here's a story of mistaken identity that's really bizarre. There was a play that was being done locally in Los Angeles. I believe at the Huntington Hartford Theater or whatever they call it now that Judd Hirsch was starring in. And I had met Judd Um, once or twice the first year of Cheers was also the last year of Taxi and from time to time I would be walking on the Paramount lot with the Charles brothers and we would encounter Judd Hirsch and it was like oh hey Judd how you doing the Charles brothers produced Taxi so they knew him a little bit but I have no relationship really with, with Judd Hirsch so uh, I asked our um, casting director, who was also casting um, Taxi at the time, could you see about uh, maybe getting some tickets for this show? Sometimes you would do that. You would go to the casting directors, and if they knew people, they could arrange to get you tickets. I would do that with my agent, but they would charge me for the tickets. They would overcharge me for the tickets, okay? Anyway, uh, the casting director calls me back and says, okay, I got you Judd Hirsch's house seats for Thursday night. Great. Okay. 
uh, willing to pay for them. It's not like I'm looking for freebies. So my wife and I go to the play. And we sit down before it starts. And Judd's assistant finds us. She knows where the seats are. And says, oh, Judd would love you to come backstage when the show is over. Okay. Now, you do that sometimes if you know the person. If you know the person, it's a common courtesy to stay and pop in their dressing room and tell them how great they are and then go home. But this was kind of weird because really didn't know Judd. So the play is over. He's excellent in it. And we wait for the crowd to exit the theater and then go down and the assistant finds us and leads us backstage and leads us into Judd Hirsch's dressing room. And the minute we walk into the dressing room, you can just tell the look on his face was, who are these guys? <laughs> Obviously, he had thought that we were someone else, someone that he knew. So now picture this weird situation where it's Judd Hirsch and me and my wife. And, of course, we don't want to say, um, I don't know why we're here because uh, I really don't know you. And he didn't want to say, oh, I, I'm sorry, there must be some mistake. I, I, I thought you were somebody else. So instead, we all kind of pretended like we did know each other. And there was this really awkward conversation about uh, how things are going and um, asking about our kids. <laughs> Didn't know we had kids. Uh, it was so strange. And it lasted for like about 10, 15 minutes because nobody was willing to just call it off. Is we felt uh, okay. This is going to be embarrassing if if we just bail, and he didn't want to seem insensitive and throw us out. So finally, after like about fifteen minutes, we said, "Well, we got to get back. Um, we have a babysitter, and uh, we got to get home." And the look of relief on his face was unbelievable. I mean, here he is, a great actor. Great actors can mask their feelings better than anybody. But you just saw this look of relief. And um, several times after that, I have been on a lot or have been at some network function and I've seen Judd Hirsch. And he always looks at me like, I know you from somewhere. I 
don't know where exactly, but it's not a good memory. So that was was a very odd encounter with Judd Hirsch. And uh, finally... I want to talk a little bit about uh, high school reunions. Now, those are humiliating under normal circumstances. But this one was particularly weird for me. This was back in, uh, God, I don't know, it was like my 20th high school reunion. And I guess you reach a point where it's like the statute of limitations is up and people will admit that I had a crush on you or I treated you horribly. Uh, There was one girl who was a cheerleader and God bless her. She came up to me and said, you know, I feel bad. I I know I treated you like shit. Um, I was a real bitch back then and I, I really apologize. And I, yeah, okay, thank you. That was that was very sweet. So I I bump into a, a couple of girls who I went to school with. And one says to the other, oh, you know, I had so much fun with Ken. We used to go out, we used to date, uh, and, and, oh, God, it was just like so much fun. And I'm thinking to myself, I never went out with you. You rejected me. Believe me, one thing that sticks in my mind is the girls that I asked out that said no. And I suspect if, God forbid, I wind up with dementia... The one thing I will still remember is all of the girls who rejected me in high school. Okay, that's just, you know, Jewish neurotic thing. This girl rejected me. So I thought to myself, why would she do this if she knew that I could bust her? if she knew that I could say, what are you talking about? You you were horrible to me. I, I asked you out and you laughed. And now you're telling people that we went out together? But I thought, oh, man, why be an asshole? Why do that? Uh, and so I basically said, yes, well, that was, those are really great times. Nice to see you again. And I, I kind of walked away. And I'm thinking to myself again, why would she do that? What I came up with was this. She saw my name on TV. And originally she would tell friends, oh, I know that guy. I went to high school with that guy. And then that became, oh, yeah, we were really good friends in high school which became, oh, yeah, we we went out. You know, we went out a few times in high school. And she probably told that story enough times and has been telling it for enough years that she now actually believes it. 
So I, that's why I, I, I think she would do that. And then I was thinking, oh, man, my response was lame. And again, I didn't want to out her. But by the same token, just, yeah, well, okay, great. Nice to see you. Um, there's a better response than that. And about five minutes later, I came up with one. I came up with a great one. But, of course, it was way too late. Oh, well. About a half hour later, I encounter three more girls. And wouldn't you know, the exact same thing happened. One of these girls talked about oh my God, we went out together. We were boyfriend and girlfriend and Ken was just so fun and oh, we had such great times and I was ready. I was ready. And I I took her hand in mine and I said, yeah, those were great times. I said, do you realize you were only the second girl I ever slept with? All of a sudden the look on her face was like, what, what? Oh, so good to see you again. So I oh my god that that night, whew, I I can remember every detail. Well, have a nice night, and and I walked away, and it was really fun because for the rest of the night, I would glance over my shoulder, and and she would have this like puzzled look on her face, like really, huh? Did I, did I sleep with that guy? Really? So those are uh, a a number of humbling moments in life that uh, I thought I would share. Like, what's the point of having a podcast if you can't uh, humiliate yourself on it, right? So there you go. Offer another year. Have a great 2022. I will actually be back next week and every week with more episodes. Our thanks, as always, to Adam and Susie Meister, Butler, Howard Hoffman, Bruce and Jason Miller, and John Wolford. If you want to get in touch with me, if you have a humbling event of your own, I always love to hear uh, other people's misery. Uh, Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com is my email address. That is Hollywood Levine at Outlook.com. I am on Twitter at Ken Levine. I am on Instagram, Hollywood and Levine. However you listen to this podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify or God knows what, iHeart, whatever, subscribe please subscribe. I really would appreciate it. And if you are listening on Apple, I could use a five-star review and uh, it, it helps. It helps get me more traffic. Okay. And really isn't that what life's about. So again, thanks so much for listening and I will see you again next week right here on Hollywood and the Fine.